So I just want to mention before we get into the way we do it, that in, in your brochure it said there's two different ways. I hopefully will have a, a picture up here of it. But so the way we grow strawberries is called the plasticulture method. And we'll be talking much more about that through this hour. The other way to grow them is the matted row method. And that you might call that the old-fashioned method. That's the way everybody used to grow strawberries. In certain parts of the country, those of you who were here, great. We've got a picture. So, Okay, here we go. Here's a picture of matted row. If you were here for the devotional this morning, Barry Mosier up in uh, Minnesota was talking about his strawberry production. This is the way they do it because plastic culture doesn't work up there. So, and, and this can be done in the South. You know, basically, this is, this is a standard method. You have four feet between the rows, and you just plant in the spring a bare root strawberry plant like every two feet in the row. Then what happens over the summer, those strawberries runner, and they fill in, as you can see on the right there, they fill in and become literally a matted row of strawberries. Okay? And then you don't get strawberries until the next spring. In fact, the first spring, you will have plants flowering, and they encourage you to pick the flowers off, which is a huge job if you have very many of them. So... Again, there are parts of the country, especially up north, where this is really the only way they can grow them. Um, or at, on a home gardening scale, you may say, I don't want to go the work of growing them the way I'm going to be talking about today. So this is an option. Now, one thing that I have heard people do, which I think is kind of cool with the matted row, is to alternate. Because the reality with this system, they usually keep the strawberries for two or three years, and then they till them under. So each year they're planting more for the following year. Does that make sense? So they have this progression going on. Um, but I have heard of people on a home scale who let the runners go into your pathways. So you work up the pathway after the season's over, let the runners go in and root on your pathway and then till up your beds. So your, your beds change every season. And, and the reality is your first year plants are the most productive. They kind of go down every year. So that's a way to keep your first year planting going. And, and that's something I would encourage you if you're doing it on a home scale or you don't want to go to the work of the plastic culture method as an option. Okay, let's see. I think they're going to have to advance. So can we go to the next slide? So before we go any further, I want you to really say, do you really want to grow strawberries? There's... Um, Strawberries are a wonderful crop to have, wonderful crop to eat, but there are 
a lot of pros and cons. So let's just go over this quickly. Almost everybody loves them. It's easy to sell. That's, to me, that's the biggest pro. They will draw crowds like nothing else. And also, because they're an early spring crop, they, they really bring people to your stand if you're selling at a farmer's market or something um, before there's much else available. And they, you know, once you get people to your stand, you can often keep them for the whole season if they like the produce, if they like the quality and everything. Um, again, yeah, great draw to your market stand. Good for value-added products. So, you know, the beauty of strawberries, they're easy to freeze. You can, you know, if you've got more than you can sell in the spring, freeze them, and you can make jam, you can make, you know, and, and it can be healthier jam than they would buy anywhere else. Um, you know, whatever. A lot of, lot of ways that you can use strawberries for value added. And it does have good money-making potential. And I've tried to be kind of conservative with these numbers, but, um, you know, I mean, we sell our strawberries for $4 a pint. Um, and at, at the beginning and end of the season, we can sell them for $5 a pint. And an acre, you usually have 15 to 17,000 plants in an acre. Um, we're still working on our fertility, you know, but I know conventional growers that average, well, in fact, most conventional growers in, in this part of the country average a quart per plant. So you just run those numbers, and there's, there's money to be made in strawberries. Um, but, of course, your costs can be high, too. So those are the pros. Cons, and this is a big con, it's a real weather crop. A lot can go wrong. Frost, rain, and heat are, are not good for strawberries. So the weather can... I mean, you can do everything right for the first seven months and a few days of rain and your crop is, is mush. Um, it's very labor-intensive at the busiest time of the year. That's why I've, I've kind of figured out usually strawberry growers don't try to grow a lot of other things in the spring because, I mean, that's when everything else needs to be done on the farm and you're pretty much full out trying to pick strawberries and sell them. So it really comes at a, a hard time of year to be so flat out busy. Um, they're, they're disease prone. And that's, that's why strawberries, if you've seen the environmental working groups list, the, the dirty dozen list, strawberries are almost always at number one. You know, if you're going to eat anything organic, start with strawberries because they're super highly sprayed with fungicides. Um, deer love them. 
If you don't have a way to keep deer out, you're not going to have strawberries, assuming there's deer around. Um, they have to be harvested quickly and timely. You know, there are some things that can wait a day or two, but strawberries can't wait. You know, we harvest three times, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. And then, you know, we trust that the Lord will keep them good till Sunday again. Uh, and it can be very expensive to establish. And, and again, here we're talking about the plastic culture system. So you got to weigh that, you know, and, and back to the money making, you know, it, it sounds like really good money, but the reality is for market gardeners, there are other crops that can make more money per acre, like lettuce and some of these. So, you know, so basically what's happened with us, we started with an acre of strawberries and got up to an acre and a half, and now we're down to, well, so we started with like 17,000 plants. We got up to 24,000. Now we're back to less than 4,000 because we can't handle more with everything else. We're, we're, we're much more diversified than we were when we first started. Okay, next slide. So... The plastic culture system, I think you assumed, hopefully, that that means you're using plastic. Now, why do you want to use plastic? Plastic is not renewable, sustainable. I don't want to use plastic, but I can tell you I've tried it every other way, and I can't make money at it any other way. We started doing it just bare ground, mulching with straw, the, the weed pressure is just incredible. Um, you know, and, and if you're organic, you're not spraying any kind of herbicides or anything. I don't know how you can make money organically without using plastic. Now, Bob Gregory's in the back here, and he has a lot more experience than I do. So, Bob, if you have thoughts on any of these things that you want to chime in on. I'm happy for that. Um, the reality is things grow better on plastic. Now, I don't like to say that, and I, and I really try not to use plastic more than I absolutely have to. Um, but um, for us, we found we couldn't make it work without using plastic. And this, is, this was our rationalization. They can either buy local, organic strawberries from us grown on plastic, or they're going to be buying California or Florida berries, probably conventional, and also grown on plastic. So I think it's still a, a move in the right direction. So this is the way, if you're going to really go into it, this is what you need. This plastic mulch layer, it makes the beds, lays the mulch, lays the drip tape all in one pass. It's a wonderful tool. And this is a, you know, this is a three or four, well, four or $5,000 unit. But you can get them as cheap as a couple thousand. Um, 
it's, it's a plastic mulch layer, bed maker slash mulch layer. Uh, and, and that's the ideal. And then you can't, this is not the best picture. There's what's called a water wheel planter here in the bottom picture. It's got two big wheels and you've got two people sitting behind there. The wheel punches holes in the plastic, pours water in, and then the people sitting behind it just push the plants into those holes. Okay, we got to keep moving. I've got to have a way to watch the time. So in the notes here, and again, I, I, there's no way I can cover everything in the notes in this hour, but I've divided it into pre-plant, planting, um, post-planting, and winter chores, late winter, early spring, and then harvest. And so I'm just going to go through and pick out some of what I feel are the most important things to emphasize. Next slide, please. This is the way we plant them. It's called a plug. This is a beautiful example here. This, this is a perfect plug plant. Now, we actually start our own plugs, and we sell them. So if you're anywhere around us, we'll be happy to supply you with plants in the fall. But the beauty of the plastic culture system, or one of the beauties of it, so first thing, you, you, you don't have near the struggle with weeds. But the second thing is it allows you to plant in the fall. So you don't have all summer that you're dealing with a crop that is only causing labor. It's not giving you anything. And most farmers can't afford to, to put that kind of labor out all summer on something that's not making them anything. So we plant these, our planting time, and again, this is going to vary depending on where you live, but for where we are in Middle Tennessee, the ideal has always been around September 20. But I'm suggesting with climate change and everything that that probably should be moved back a, a, a few days. Um, and it, it, ah, it's so challenging to try to cover what should be covered in an hour. But the key with plastic culture is you are, um, you are trying to get a certain amount of growth in the fall. So if you plant too late, that plant doesn't get big enough in the fall. If you plant too early, the plant gets too big. And that causes another problem. If you have a plant with too many crowns, you'll have lots of really tiny fruit come spring. And it's a lot of work to harvest. You just, you want a plant that's the right size. So it's where you wish you had the gift of prophecy and could predict the weather. So you know, you know some years we have really warm, hot falls. Other years, it turns cold early. So on there, those years, you'd like to plant a little earlier. And Anyway, so this is what we plant. Now, another key with strawberries, next slide, please, 
is the planting depth. This is super critical. If you plant where you're covering the crown, the plant is, at, at best, it's not going to thrive. At worst, it's going to actually die. So the crown is right in the middle there where the new growth comes out. So it's super important, and you can also plant it too shallow. I would always rather err on too shallow than too deep. But you don't want the roots exposed. But more importantly, you do not want the crown covered. Yeah, again, there's, there's a lot of things I can't cover in the time here, but it, it, I tried to be pretty thorough on this sheet. So if, if I'm not talking about it, hopefully you will get it on the sheet. So after planting, one of the first things we want to do, next slide, is put up our deer fence. Because as I said, deer will destroy, you know, they will eat the leaves off the strawberry plants. And basically, what happens when it has no leaves? It has no way to photosynthesize. It's, it's going to totally slow the growth down, and you're not going to get the right size plants come spring. So what we use is, um, it's called different things, but some places call it invisible deer fencing. As you can see, if you're back a little ways, you probably can't hardly even see that. It's a mesh, um, I don't even know, uh, you, I guess two or three inch square mesh. Um, the trade name is 10X Centiflex. Now, I will warn you, people will try to sell you this really flimsy little bird netting. Forget it. I mean, the deer don't even know they've run into it. They'll just walk right through it. But I can tell you, this stuff works. We've been using it for 20 years, and we've never had a deer get in if the fence is closed up. Now, sometimes we forget to close it up, and they will find a way in. They're there. They're all around. But it works amazingly well. And we've come up with this really simple system that we think is so wonderful. Everybody should be using it. Just eight-foot T-posts pounded in. Um, and then we put one little electric fence insulator at the top and just clip the fence. And you probably can't see in this picture so the fence is seven and a half feet tall. So it's, it's taller than the eight-foot T-post once you pound it in. So it comes down and then goes out on the ground. And that's important because deer can go under. But by, by having it out like that, they can't really, really push under. And like I say, it's been 100% effective for us. The, you know, the only way they would get in is if they were startled and they didn't know it was there and they just, you know, they could break it if they were running full force. But there's different, there's different thicknesses and I would encourage you to get the thickest you can afford. Um, 
we've had some of the same deer fencing for all 20 years. So it is long lasting. It will cost you um, around $200 for a 330 foot roll. So it's actually, in my opinion, one of the, the, the cheapest fences. The only thing I think cheaper is electric. And you can do electric fences that will keep deer out, but you have to know what you're doing and, and the fence has to keep working. And so this, the thing we love about this, and I don't want to get too sidetracked with this, but to me, the, the, this is a real key here. Um, a lot of people put up permanent fencing, and there's nothing wrong with that, except, number one, it can be very expensive. Number two, it has to be maintained. And maintaining a fence row can be a lot of work. Um, so with this, we put it around the things we know the deer like, and everything else is in the open. You know, deer don't bother our brassicas. I mean, they might nibble a little bit, but they're, they're not going to fool with that. We know what they like. They like carrots. They like the Chenopodiaceae family, all your spinach and, and Swiss chard. Um, they, they like sweet potatoes and green beans, and they love strawberries. So those are the main crops that we fence. So when it comes to, to maintaining the fence line, you just lift it up and hook it on the top and mow or weed eat under it and then drop it back down. Super simple. We love it. It takes us, you know, maybe an hour at the most. Probably, I mean, if we're pushing it to half hour to 45 minutes to put up a fence around a field and then the same amount of time to take it down and roll it up at the end of the season. Okay, let's go to the next picture. This is what our field looked like last week. And you're probably looking at it and saying, wow, that looks kind of sad. But actually, I'm looking at it and saying, you know, I'm happy about that field right there. So a few things I wanted to point out. Number one, in the aisles, at, you know, after 20 years of doing this, I'm still trying to figure out how to handle the aisles. It's, it's a real perennial frustration to me. Because when you use plastic, you know, how are you, what do you do with the aisles? We've tried everything from doing nothing, and then you got to mow the weeds come spring, but once the strawberries start spilling over the edge, you're smashing strawberries with your mower. You can't weed eat because you don't want to splatter weeds all over your berries. So this is the best we've come up with. We, we plant spring oats. Now note, spring oats. There's a difference. I, I've learned all this the hard way, so I'm trying to help you avoid it. We plant spring oats after we make the beds, before we punch the holes. We just broadcast it, and then we have to blow it. We use a leaf blower to blow all the seed off the plastic into the aisles. The spring oats grow up nice and lush in the fall, 
And then come winter time, if we have winter time, I'm starting to wonder about that, but come winter time, you get temperatures below 20 and the spring oats will winter kill. So that's what's happened here. You can see the residue of the spring oats. So they, they effectively blocked a lot of the weeds in the fall, the, the fall weeds from growing. So there's not much in the way of weeds there. Now it's bare, so ideally we will cover that with a straw mulch come spring. Now, why not just put the straw mulch on in the fall? Well, because straw mulch has lots of wheat seeds in it, and you'll end up with a whole crop of wheat in your aisles. I see some people um, have experienced this on their own. So that's how we're dealing with it. Um, also, you'll notice some weeds here in the holes. You know, just because you've got plastic doesn't mean you're not going to have some weeds. It's really important. The main weeds we have in the field are hen's bit. It's a winter weed. Um, and, and sometimes chickweed. Um, you you want to get that out. We need to get that out before the plants kind of explode in March. So that's definitely something we will be working on soon. Now also you may notice we are experimenting putting a row of garlic down the center of the bed. You know, as I said, we're trying to use as little plastic as possible. Garlic is a great it, it has the same time period, basically, as strawberries. So we're trying to double crop. We did a little bit last spring. What we did notice, and we're going to have to work on this spring, is we've got to bump up our fertility a little bit because of that added, you know, the garlic's taking it off. Um, so we need to put a little more nitrogen on there. Okay. So... All I'm really worried at, about at this point is crown size. So I'm going to show you a picture here. Let's see if this... Oh, wow. Technology is wonderful when it works. So this is a picture of one of the crowns there. Um, and I'm happy with that. Here's, here's your main crown. But you'll notice one, two... And it's hard to see at this angle, but three branch crowns. So for this time of year, I'm very happy with that. You know, the rule that I learned early on was two branch crowns by Thanksgiving. That's ideal. If that's the, the average size of your plants, you're good going into the winter. Um, what time? This ends at, at 10.30. Is that right? Okay. So this is what you're really trying to monitor. Now, how do you, you know, how do you deal with that? I mean, how do you change that? Well, there's, there's a key here. Strawberries, the ideal temperatures for strawberries are daytime temperatures in the 70, nighttime temperatures in the 50s, which is what they have all summer in, in Watsonville, right? Isn't that where they grow the strawberries? 
So, so their strawberries go all summer long out there. They can get 70,000 pounds to an acre out in California or more. Um, so for us, we plant them in the fall. If it's really a hot fall, we can't do much about controlling that except making sure that they stay well irrigated and hydrated, you know, just try to baby them the best we can. Um, if it's a cool fall, if the temperatures start going below that ideal, you know, so 70s daytime, 50s nighttime, that's kind of October for us normally. So that's perfect. If, if it's a normal fall, which again, I'm not sure if, if we know what that is anymore, um, then, then things are great. But if it's a cool fall and the temperatures are not getting up to 70s in the daytime and they're cooler than 50s at night, then we can put a row cover over them, a floating row cover, and try to bump the, the temperatures up a little bit under there. So that is how you can, you can, um, I don't like the word manipulate, but I can't think of a better word. You can manipulate the growth of the strawberries to some extent. Enhance. Enhance, okay, yeah, that sounds much much uh, more natural or something. So here's a picture, again, this is taken last week. The, the picture on the left is before what we call sanitation. Now ideally, I, I would have gone through the field in November. I, in the ideal world, we go through it in November and again the end of February. Sanitizing, taking off in this picture, you'll notice there's runners. We had excessive runnering this fall because it was so warm. You know, ideally, you, the plants will put out very few runners in the fall, and so you don't have to deal with that. But we need to take all those off because that's, you know, they don't have anywhere to go on plastic, and they're, you're just trying to get any dead tissue off. And, you know, dead leaves, we've taken all those off. So here you see there's no weeds, and all the runners are taken off in any dead leaves, but we don't want to take off too many leaves. So we have, you know, all this, all this dead stuff you're seeing are partially dead leaves. That's just winter injury. That's, you know, that's normal. We had that big cold event in November where it got really cold, and so the plants, you know, they, they took it. And, and this is the result of that. But again, we're not, we're not too concerned about that right now because we've got healthy crowns. And that's, that's what really counts. They're going to replace all those leaves come March. It's amazing how they explode. So I don't know how well you can see this picture. <clears throat> You know, people ask, do you have to cover them in the fall? Ideally, you don't cover them. If you've gotten the size you want in the fall, you want them to go dormant in the wintertime. And if you keep them covered all winter, many times they won't really go into dormancy, and then you're going to have flowers when you don't want them. So the exception to that rule, 
So, so again, in the ideal world, you get your growth in October, maybe the beginning of November, and then it starts getting cold, and, and it just slowly gets colder and colder, and the plants just kind of go to sleep, so to speak. Um, problem is, we don't live in the ideal world, and so you have these quick cold events come through when the plants are still lush and growing well, and that can do damage. And so here you see a crown that was cut open and it's discolored. That's from cold damage. So it didn't kill the plant, but that plant is not going to produce as much in the spring because of that. Now I'm kind of anxious to see what happens because we were actually in Romania in November when that cold came through and, and I, the communication lines were not good. And so my son was back home saying, do I need to cover the strawberries? And I made the call that I didn't think they needed to be covered, but I kind of wish they had been covered, so we'll see. But um, anyway, they go into the winter dormant, or ideally they go into the winter dormant, and then they'll stay there till end of February, beginning of March. But, again, with the weird weather we have these days, what often ha happens is you get these warm spells in the wintertime, and then you start getting flower buds starting to come out of the crown. And that's a bad thing, because what's going to happen when the next real cold event comes along? This flower bud is frozen, so it's going to die, and you've got dead tissue here in the center of the crown, and that's a bad thing. We'll talk about in just a minute here. So you want to do whatever you can, and there's only so much you can do to keep those plants from flowering in the winter. Um, and you know, back to, to planting dates, I don't think I finished saying that if you're south of us, you're going to want to plant later in the fall. <coughs> Excuse me. If you're north of us, obviously you're going to want to plant earlier in the fall. We're in Middle Tennessee. So I'm not sure how they do it here in, in Florida, Bob. When, I mean, I guess they, because they start picking and February, right? So when do they plant? Okay. Uh, wow. Okay, so here's somebody who knows. So the end of October in Florida. Okay, and so I'm guessing it, it depends on when they're trying to get their crop. You know, obviously, when they start, Plant City, I think, you know, they start in February, so they're probably planting earlier in the... F oh, really? Jan? Okay. So they're already picking. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not from Florida, so I'm not familiar with that. But I, So the point is simply, you've got to figure out the timing for your local area. Okay, let's move on here. Okay, so 
we're going to talk about a few things that can be real issues with, with strawberries. Look at this cute little guy. What could something so cute, uh, what harm could that do, right? Voles, um, voles can be a big issue with strawberries, especially if you are using row covers because they love that protection, anything to hide under. So they will go crazy with row cover or silage tarp. They love it under there. So they're, they're not good because, number one, in the spring, they can eat the fruit. But here you see some of their tunnels. They will actually go down, tunnel down a row and just eat the roots off of each plant. And you come in there and all of a sudden your plants are wilted. It's like, what's going on? And you go and the plant just comes up because it has no roots at all. So fortunately, we have never had a huge problem, and, but we deal with it. Many, we have a number of dogs. We've got cats. We, and, and the other thing I say here is you've got to keep the area around your fields free of vegetation. You don't want stuff growing up around your fields because that's all hiding places for these things. So you got to keep it clean around. Don't leave your row cover piled up out there. Um, and that can discourage them because, you know, if they don't have a place to hide, then you've got owls in the, at nighttime and hawks in the day and all these things that will help. Um, and again, certain kinds of dogs, boy, they love voles. The challenge there is, you know, which is doing more damage? <laughs> um, you gotta, gotta weigh out the pros and cons. Okay. Um, well, so, so as far as pests, you've got voles and you've got deer. Those are the two biggest challenges we've had as far as pest pressure. Um, and, you know, I can say I, we have never really had insect pressure that we felt was, I mean, there's always some, but we've never felt like we had economic damage from insects. Uh, the only exception to that is if you try to grow them in tunnels, we have had, and everybody I know who grows in tunnels has spider mite problems if you grow it in tunnels. So you just have to be aware of that. And spider mites are something, it's very hard to see unless you know what you're looking for. And they can do a lot of damage before you're really aware that you have the issue. So you do need to be able to monitor for that. But this is a big one. Who knows what this is? Botrytis. Um, if you have strawberries, you're going to have botrytis. That's just the reality. So it's a matter of trying to control it. So botrytis grows on dead plant tissue. And not just dead plant tissue. Obviously, this was a good fruit there. But I can, how would you say it? I mean, that's where it... it um, 
it lives. Yeah, so moisture, moisture is the big issue here. So first of all, that's, that's a big reason why we sanitize in the fall and spring. You're trying to keep that any dead tissue which might be harboring botrytis spores off the plant. Um, and, and you'll see in this picture, maybe you can see, uh, some crown rot from botrytis. And so that, going back to your dead flower in the crown, that's where you can have some real issues because you'll get the crown rotting out from botrytis. So you really want to, if you have to, you know, if, if those plants are starting to put out little flower buds before they should, you know, you may have to really kind of dig down in there and get that stuff out. Otherwise, you can have major issues. And it can get on the fruit as well. So the key here is moisture. Well, dead plant tissue and moisture. So again, you know, sometimes there's not a lot you can do about that, but you don't, ideally, you don't want to be picking the field when it's wet. That's a no-no, if at all possible and keeping the berries dry, you know, whether that's praying, asking God for mercy, or one thing we did this year that we were really happy with the results, we plan to do it again this coming, well, this spring, um, is using caterpillar tunnels. So we don't, you know, we're, we don't feel like it's necessary to have them up all winter, but here in another month or so, we'll erect caterpillar tunnels over. We have enough tunnels to cover half of our strawberry production as kind of an insurance. Number one, they'll start producing. Um, I mean, this year, we didn't even have ends on the tunnels, So it was open. It just had plastic over it. And they started producing 10 days before anything else. So it can, you get an earlier crop, and, and this brings me to another thing, another what I consider an advantage to plastic culture. Plastic culture is, um, is going to get you started earlier in the spring. The things that shut down strawberry production is the heat. So it's hard, it's harder to extend the season on the back end. Does that make sense? So if you can extend it on the front end, you've got, you've got a lot more berries to pick. You know, Mr. Mosier was talking about, you know, two or three week season up in Minnesota. You know, with these, we, we count on starting picking by the 21st of April. That's kind of our average first pick date. And we'll pick till at least the end of May. So you're talking about, and we have, we have started as early as the first week in April, depending on spring weather. And we have actually picked berries on the 4th of July. So plastic culture gives you a longer season, ideally. You know, again, the weather has to cooperate. But it, it pushes the berries earlier. Now, of course, if you know anything about strawberries, that 
poses another challenge by them starting earlier in the spring. But let's first deal with this one. Ah, this is, this, this is a site that makes a strawberry grower's heart sink. Right, children's? It, it just makes you sick to see this because this is the dreaded anthracnose. Um, and it is so bad. And it can spread overnight. It, it's, like, it's, it's like a strawberry grower's worst nightmare. Now, I, I didn't mention earlier when I showed you the plug plant, the, the kind we recommend, the kind we use exclusively, is the, the variety is Chandler. There's two or three varieties that are used in, in plastic culture. There's another one, Camarosa, which is more of a shipping berry. But we're very happy with the Chandler as far as the taste, as far as the length of the season, the size of the berry, the amount of berries. We really, really like the Chandler. But it does have the Achilles heel of being um, susceptible to anthracnose. And unfortunately, these, these plants come from, from um, the tips that we propagate in the fall. They come from Canada. They're trying to, to have nurseries way up there to stay, stay further north than the diseases, but it doesn't always happen. And so many times, well, not many times, but some years, the plants, the tips, come infected with anthracnose. And as organic growers, it's very, very hard to deal with anthracnose. Even conventional growers have a hard time dealing with anthracnose. They have to spray heavily, and they still have losses. So this, if you see this, you really need to get on your knees because you're in big trouble. Um, it can get on the, the green fruit. You can also see it sometimes on the, the stems. You'll get these black lesions on the stems. Basically, all you can do is try to get rid of it. So as soon as you see it on a plant, you get your garbage bag out there and you're taking those plants out and you want to be super, super careful about infecting other plants. So you're not only taking out that plant, but all the plants around it. So you can see how if you have a small patch, um, <laughs> it can wipe you out overnight. And, you know, unfortunately, the children's lost most of their crop. I don't know if the barkers are here. Yeah. Okay, both the Barkers and Children's, because they got plant infected plants from a supplier, um, they lost most of their crop this spring. It was not a pretty picture at all. Fortunately, the supplier we're getting from, and now that they're getting from as well, is coming from Prince Edward Island, and they have never, to this point, had an issue with anthracnose. So, you know, that could change, but that's the reality. 
Okay. Oh, wow. We're out of time. Oh, man. Okay, sunscald can be an issue. So just quickly, frost. So you're, you're pushing them earlier in the spring up against the cold. So you've got to deal with frost. Now, in your handouts, I'll just have to point you back to your handouts because I don't have time to cover it all. In your handouts, there's some links to some really good resources out of North Carolina, both on just the whole plastic culture system and also specifically on frost protection. You basically have two options, irrigation or row cover. Um, either can work. We like to have both as insurance. So this is what you don't want to see come spring, is berries that have been killed by frost. And also just note, cold weather will cause deformed berries. You'll have more, a higher percentage of deformed berries in the early spring. But don't throw them away. Those are some of the best tasting berries we've learned over the years. Um, so with, with irrigation, we use the Senninger Wobbler. We love it. We've been using it for years and years. And this is all we use for all of our vegetable crops as far as overhead irrigation. It works incredibly well for frost protection. We don't have time to go into how to do this. I, I would not recommend this for a home gardener. Um, I think you're better off with row cover. So with row cover, you know, ideally you have to know what the temperature is under the row cover. And there are ways to do that with, with um, thermometers, you know, um, thermocouplings where you put them under the, under the row cover. But you need to know how many layers, because one layer will not always be enough to protect them. So then you start doubling or tripling, and you can do a very effective job of protecting plants from frost just with row cover. But again, you know, if you don't know what the temperature is under there, you're always going to want to err on the side of too much row cover rather than not enough. But you've got to take it off as soon as, as it warms up in the morning because you want the bees on those flowers to pollinate and everything. Okay, well, we got through quite a bit of stuff. There's a whole lot more we needed to get through. But <laughs> we'll end by asking you the question, are you ready to bite this off? You've got to weigh it. I, I'm not telling you to go out and grow strawberries because we, we had a lot of years of trial and error. Uh, but it's a great crop. Uh, you know, you talk about eating like kings and queens. We figure we eat about $48 of strawberries in a meal come springtime. You know, that we feel like kings and queens in the spring. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.
www.audioverse.org.